All right, well, today is Back to School Sunday 2021. That's right, it's one of the most exciting days and one of my favorite days in the life of our church every year. Las Cruces schools are getting back to classes this coming week, and today we're honoring teachers and staff and faculty at, at, at all of our schools. We're praying for you. We're praying for students this year that you would have a safe, healthy, productive year of learning. And here's what's great about back to school season. Whether you're a teacher or not, whether you have kids in school or not, whether you are a student or not, all of us know that when when school is in session, learning should be happening, <laughs> right? All of us kind of intuitively know it because that's the way we all grew up, that when school is in session, learning should be happening. Now, I, I, I emphasize that word should because let's be honest, some of us, as we were growing up, we knew it should have been happening, but it wasn't happening for us, right? For some of you, when you were growing up, school was a lot about friends and not enough about learning. For some of you, you only learned when there was a test the next day, right? Like, like when there was a project the next day, when there was a test the next day, that's when you learned. You didn't learn in school. You crammed the night before, and that's when you uh, learned. For some of you, you only learned in group projects. And when I say you learned in group projects, I mean the only time you got good grades was when someone else was doing the work for you, and you learned, and you got an A because someone else was doing the, the work. As someone who grew up being homeschooled and carried a lot of group projects, I was okay with it. I just want to let you know, if, if you think that that's making you feel guilty, I was okay carrying it. I wanted to get the good grade myself and it was great and it was wonderful and it was fantastic. But you knew on some level, you knew and we all still know that when school is in session, learning should be happening. And here's why I say that. Here's why I say all that. Over the next year of life, whether you're a student in a classroom, a teacher in a classroom, a parent of a student, or just a person living your life, school is going to be in session. School is going to be in session. And here's what I mean by that. The school of life is going to be in session. The school of life is going to be in session. And because school is in session, there are some very some things every one of us should learn and relearn as we move through this, the course of this next year and through the next season and the next stretch of our lives. And particularly in regard to our faith, in regard to your faith, maybe as your faith begins or develops or grows, there are some lessons that I believe God wants you to learn and to never forget in the coming year. And so today, so today we're going to take a look at an incredible story from the Old Testament. It's a story of a family who learned some incredible lessons along the way of life. And the lessons they learned, I think, are some, some lessons that might be worth learning ourselves or might be worth reminding ourselves of. This took place about a thousand years before Jesus would walk the earth. It was during the time in Israel's history where judges and prophets led the nation of Israel under God's covenant uh, under God's covenant with the nation. The story picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 1. says, there was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah. It's a great little rhyme, isn't it? A man, from named, a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jer Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah did not. Now, I've said this before about biblical times and husbands in the Old Testament. If you have two wives to begin with, you have already got some problems going on in your family, man. Like if you have more than one wife, if you have a favorite wife and a not favorite wife, if you have one wife that has kids, one wife that doesn't, like you've already got problems, okay? So this isn't like a model family. Elkanah is not like a model husband, but this story isn't really about Elkanah. This story is about Hannah who did not have a child. Now, we don't know much about the family. We aren't even told much about Hannah, like how old she was, but we're led to believe they've been married long enough and she is old enough that by now she should have at least had a child or probably have had more than one child. We're led to believe that she should have a child but doesn't 
have a child. And on top of that, what we learn in the following verse is that Elkanah's other wife, Penina, would often mock Hannah for the fact that she wasn't able to have a child, which is why to this day, you know people named Hannah and you don't know anyone named Penina. Panina is kind of a jerk. Panina is kind of a jerk in this story. I mean, she's kind of a big jerk in this story. That's why to this day, people are named after Hannah and people are not named after Panina. Hannah is a sweet young woman whose life circumstances have left her hurting and desperate. So here's what we're told happens out of that desperation in verse 9. Once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. They've gone to the temple. They've gone to the tabernacle. They've gone to the house of the Lord to offer sacrifices and pray. Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. That's a pretty big promise, right? This is a pretty intense promise. God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. I don't even, I mean, like, God, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. I know I can't have a child without your goodness and without your strength. Apparently, that's just not going to happen. But if you give me a child, I won't hold on to him. I'll return him to you for your purposes, for your plans, for your glory. That's the promise that Hannah makes to God. Here's what we're told happens next. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought that she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. And if you're Hannah in this moment, like it's like, okay, my wife competition mocks me. The priest thinks I'm drunk, is trying to kick me out of church. Like, like what is going on in my life? Like this is a pretty intense scenario. And so she says, oh no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and began to eat again and she was no longer sad. The entire family, we're told, the entire family got up early the next morning and went to worship the Lord once more. Then they returned home to Ramah. And when Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea and in due time she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I asked the Lord for him. And here's the first lesson that we want to learn from this story. Here's the first lesson that Hannah learned that we need to be reminded of and maybe you need to hear for the very first time. God knows your need and hears your prayer. God knows your need and hears your prayer. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or what you've done. God knows your need. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or what you've done. God hears your prayers. This is incredibly good news for you as you go about the next season and this next stretch of your life where you will have needs and you will have moments where you'll want to cry out to God and you'll want to say, God, I need help with this and I need need something from you. There is a God who loves you and is attentive to your life. There is a God who loves you and is attentive to your life. And because he's attentive to your life, he knows your need. And because he's attentive to your life, he hears your prayers. He knows your need and he hears your prayers. That wherever you are, whatever you've done, whoever you are, when you call out to your heavenly father, he hears you. 
He knows your needs because he loves you and because he's attentive to your life. And I think this particular passage of scripture is actually really encouraging in one regard. Obviously, obviously to a religious expert, the priest Eli, Hannah wasn't praying right, right? He goes, well, her lips are moving, but there's no sound coming out. She's not praying right. She must be drunk. She wasn't praying right. And while she wasn't praying right, God still heard her prayer, which means for you and I, there is no right way of praying that God hears and no wrong way that he refuses to hear. He hears the cries of his people. He hears the prayers of, of, of his people. He, hear, he knows the needs of his people, which means we just simply keep coming. We keep coming. We keep praying. We keep opening our mouth and talking to our heavenly father. We keep going to God in prayer, knowing that when we go, he will hear. And when he hears, he often responds. The story goes on in verse 21 of chapter 1. It says, The next year Elkanah and his family went on their annual trip to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and to keep his vow. But Hannah did not go. She told her husband, Wait until the boy is weaned, then I will take him to the tabernacle and leave him there with the Lord permanently. Whatever you think is best, Elkanah agreed. Stay here for now, and may the Lord help you keep your promise. So she stayed home and nursed the boy until he was weaned. When the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. They brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. After sacrificing the bull, they brought the boy to Eli. Sir, sir, do you remember me? Hannah asked. I am the very woman who stood here several years ago praying to the Lord. I asked the Lord to give me this boy, and he has granted my request. Now I am giving him to the Lord, and he will belong to the Lord his whole life and they worship the Lord there. Now, let me be very clear at, 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 as we end this passage. There's a lesson, a lesson to learn from this scripture, but it is not when you have a kid, drop him off with the church staff and head home. That is not the lesson to learn from this passage of scripture. Imagine if you're Eli. Imagine being Eli. You're like, oh, cool. The Lord answered your prayer. And, and Hannah's like, yep, here he is. Bye. I'm like, what? I mean, I, I love that the Lord answered your prayer, but I didn't expect I was going to raise it. Like, I, I mean, it's crazy. That, that's not the lesson that we learn from this, from this passage. Here is the lesson that we learn from this passage. When God's blessing comes, return to God with gratitude. When God's blessing comes, return to God with gratitude. Imagine just for a second the temptation that Hannah felt when she got pregnant and when she had this baby boy. She, like she had made a very, I mean, she had made a very serious promise to God in prayer. And then the baby actually comes. She actually gets pregnant. Her prayers are answered with a baby boy. Finally, she can tell Panina to shutty uppy. I mean, like, because she has a child. Finally, her tears come to an end. Finally, everything she has always dreamed of and hoped for is hers. Except that because of the promise that she had made, it's not hers to hold on to. So she's faced with this crazy choice, like, do I hold on to this answer to prayer that God has given me, or, I, or will I return in worship and prayer to God? Will I refuse to hold tightly to the blessing of God and rather return the gift to God to be used for his purpose and for his glory? See, here's what I think we need to understand. Hannah did not return her son out of obligation. She returned with her son out of gratitude. She did not respond, oh, well, I made this promise and so I... I have to go. I'm obliged to go. I have to do this. She returned with a heart of gratitude, knowing that this son, this gift from God had come from God. It was not possible without God. And when she returns, she returns with gratitude to God. 
This is not a I have to. This is I get to. So when God's blessing came, she did not hold on to the blessing herself. She did not hold tightly, but she returned with gratitude towards God. So, so here's the question at the end of the day is what do you do in those moments? What do you do in those moments? In the moments when God has brought about something that only God can do or in a way that only God could make reality, do you go, thanks, bro, and you move on as if, now you, as if nothing significant happened and now you're responsible to make things happen from this point forward? Or do you return to the source of all blessing and every gift, not out of obligation, but out of genuine gratitude, genuine recognition that God has done for you what no one else could? I mean, like, like where, where, where do you land? See, here's the biggest reason we need to turn to God with gratitude and thanksgiving and, 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 and recognition outside of the fact that he deserves it. Here's the biggest reason to do that. Everything that we don't turn into praise turns into pride. Everything that we don't turn into praise turns into pride. See, what you have has been given to you by your heavenly father. Everything. Everything you have has been given to you by your Heavenly Father. Your job skills, your communication skills, your relationship with your spouse, your financial security, your healthy relationships with your family, your healthy body, your car, your sweet house, everything. Everything that you have that I just mentioned came from God. Everything that you have that I didn't just mention, it came from God. And the temptation is to hold on tightly to everything that we have and assume that everything good that you have and that I have is a result of you, is a result of your hard work and your ability and your talent and your goodness and your good luck. And if you don't recognize that it all came from someone and from somewhere, it turns into pride. It turns into pride. When you recognize where it comes from, you stay humble. And you give God the recognition that he deserves. And you stay in your rightful place under the goodness and under the grace and under the blessing of your heavenly father, which is where God wants you to be in the first place. It's where you were made to be, where you're called to live. That's the second lesson. Now, now the story takes an interesting little turn here. Second chapter of 1 Samuel, where we learn a little bit about Eli, the priest, and his family. Eli is growing old, and he's entrusting more and more um, priestly and religious duties to his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, um, which sounds nice, which sounds nice. Yay, uh, a father is handing over the family business to his sons. Yay, they're going to stay in the family line of work. Yay, yay, yay. The only problem is these guys are awful people. Like awful, awful, awful people. These guys are the worst. Like they are awful people. Um, they, they, like the Old Testament author of 1 Samuel actually calls them scoundrels. Saucy language. I mean, like, like calls them scoundrels. They were stealing sacrifices. They were taking gold from themselves from the tabernacle. And they were seducing women who would come to offer sacrifices to God. These are bad, bad dudes. And, and, and Eli had told them, guys, you got to stop that because we serve a holy God who's not going to let that, that, you know, that type of thing go, that type of behavior go on. And then they kept doing it and Eli did nothing about it. And so God eventually sends a warning to Eli through a random prophet that his days are numbered leading the nation of Israel and his son's days are numbered on the earth. And then after that encouraging chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 2, we get this interesting turn of events in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Meanwhile, meanwhile while, while all of that's going on, meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. 
The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out, Samuel. Now, here's the third lesson. Here's the third lesson. When you stay close to God, God speaks. When you stay close, God speaks. Did you notice where Samuel was when God speaks to him? Eli is old and blind and asleep in his bed. Eli's sons are probably out doing whatever biblical scoundrels do. Samuel is staying near the ark of God. That's where he has decided to sleep. He's remaining as close to the presence of God as he knew to be. And while he's in that place and while he's in that position, God spoke. And I think it's interesting what it says right before that. In those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. Let me ask you this question. Does it ever feel to you like messages from the Lord are rare to you? Does it ever feel like messages from the Lord are rare today or rare in the world that we live in today or rare to hear God speak to us today? I think, I think, I think many of us would say, yeah, I feel like in the world that we live in, it's, it's rare to hear the voice of God. And into that, into that rare, rare, rareness of, of hearing the voice of God, I would, I would maybe ask us this, this, this question. Maybe God hasn't stopped speaking. Maybe we don't stay close enough to hear. Maybe God hasn't stopped speaking. Maybe we don't stay close enough to hear. Maybe we need to stay in a position and a posture to hear from God more often and more regularly. I think so often we're asking God to speak and we're wanting God to speak to us and we're wanting God to give us clarity and for God to give us direction while we're moving away from God or while we're keeping ourselves too busy to actually stop and listen, and to all of us, if we want God to speak to us, if we want to hear from the Lord, maybe we need to stay close and stay attentive and position ourselves to hear the God who has never stopped speaking from the day of Samuel to this very day. And then we get the, re the rest of this episode, and I personally think it's pretty funny. So the Lord speaks, he says, Samuel, Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. Samuel heard the voice of the Lord, but he didn't recognize it. He hadn't heard it before. So he runs into Eli because that's the only other voice that makes sense that could have called him. So then the Lord called out again in verse 6. Then the Lord called out again, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son. Eli said, go back to bed. If, which if you're a parent and you've ever had a kid come in your room in the middle of the night, go back to bed is the number one thought. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never heard a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed. First of all, I think it is really cool that Eli, in the middle of his sleep, in the middle of probably feeling frustrated that this boy has come and interrupted his sleep three times, in the middle of all that, that Eli realizes Samuel is hearing from the Lord. This is a pretty cool moment between an older man and a young, and a young boy, that, that, that Eli recognizes the voice of God is speaking to Samuel. 
The voice of God is speaking to Samuel. As, as a guy who's been a young man in ministry and who's spent most of my life in ministry out past my, de- my, my depth, I have so appreciated when older, uh, more experienced ministers have affirmed in me like the things that God is doing, the things that God is speaking. This is, this is a pretty cool moment between Eli and Samuel. This is almost a little bit of a passing the mantle moment right here. But I also know how this was taught to me as a young kid. I, I don't remember if it was by my parents or if it was a well-intentioned Sunday school teacher. Some, some, uh, there were seasons in life where that was the same person. Sometimes my mom was my Sunday school teacher. Um, but I, So I don't remember who this was. Some, someone taught me you know, this verse, if you hear the voice of the Lord in the middle of the night, you respond, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And that was the first time in my life that I ever thought I might hear a voice in the dark middle of the night. And I'm just going to say this, that freaked me out. The thought that I could hear a voice in the middle of the night, even if it was God, was like, I don't think I particularly want that to happen. And so I remember after, after I was taught this, I remember for a good stretch of time going to bed and my dad would pray, with, would, would pray with me at night and then he would leave the room and then I would have another time of prayer where I would say, hey to, say to God, hey God, um, I, I understand that sometimes you talk to children in the middle of the night and you use a, vo- a voice in the middle of the night. And I just want to let you know that I am more than willing to listen in the middle of the day. Please, 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 please don't talk to me in the middle of the night. Thanks. Bye-bye. Good night. We'll see you in the morning. Okay, like, like, I, like I did not want to hear a voice in the middle of the night. I felt pretty confident that I was night trained, but I didn't feel like God needed to add an extra degree of difficulty to the whole, to the whole thing. Like, like, th- like th- this, this was the whole thing. Like God, if you want to speak, speak during the day. Please don't do it at night. But this is, this is what happens, and this is how God speaks to Samuel. And we're told this in verse 10. In, in the middle of this comedic, kind of comedic moment, in the middle of like, I don't know if I would actually even want that. We're told this, and then the Lord came and he called us before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And God spoke, and Samuel listened. He told Samuel of what was to come for Eli and his sons. He told Samuel of the plans that God had for him, the plans that he had for Samuel, the purposes and the plans and, what, and, and who he was meant to be and what he was meant to do, that if he would stay faithful to the Lord, that God would use him in incredible ways. And God did, and God did. And we're told in verse 19 of this same chapter that as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him. And everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. And all Israel from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. See, Samuel, this is is ultimately the message for Samuel. Samuel, God has a plan and a purpose from your life from the very beginning. Don't miss it because you got in with the wrong kids, the priest kids, by the way. Like, don't, get, don't, don't miss it because you got around the wrong kids at the tabernacle. Don't miss it because you moved away from the presence of God. Don't miss it because you didn't recognize the voice and the call of God. Don't miss it because you're afraid of where the call might lead you. Don't miss it because you don't think you matter enough. Don't you dare miss it. And Samuel didn't. And Samuel didn't miss it. And because Samuel didn't miss it, he got to, like, I mean, like Samuel got to be a part of some of the most amazing things in, in the history of the Bible. Samuel performed many miracles. Samuel anointed the first king of Israel. Samuel called kings to repentance. Samuel anointed the second king of Israel, a, little, a guy we know as David, as King David, one of the greatest kings in, in, in the history of the world. That 
Samuel got to be a part of incredible moments. Samuel led the nation of Israel into battle and won victories they had no business winning because God was with Samuel. And because God was with Samuel, he was with the nation of Israel. Samuel didn't miss it. God had a plan and a purpose for his life, and he didn't miss it because he came from the wrong family, because he got mixed up with the wrong family. Like everything he did stayed on, on point with the purpose and the plan of God. And here's the final lesson. This is the bottom line for today. See, God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it for anything. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it for anything. Now, I'm going to say this in a whole bunch of ways because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm not talking to you today. I, I want to make sure that everyone listening knows that I'm talking to you today when I say God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and you don't want to miss it. And God has a purpose and a plan for you in the next season and the next stretch of life and you don't want to miss it for anything. See, God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you don't want to miss it for anything. God has a purpose and a plan for your family, and you don't want to miss it for anything. God has a purpose and a plan for your singleness, and you don't want to miss that purpose and that plan for anything. Teachers and school staff, God has a purpose and a plan for your schools and your classrooms this year, and you don't want to miss it for anything. Parents, God has a plan for how, purpose and a plan for how you raise and love and lead your children this year. And you don't want to miss it for anything. If you have a job, God has a plan and a purpose for your workplace and your career, and you don't want to miss it for anything. If you're a student at NMSU, God has a purpose and a plan for you as you walk the steps of campus this fall, and you don't want to miss it for anything. If you're a high school or middle school student right now, God has a purpose and a plan for you as you walk the steps of your school, as you walk the halls of your school this year, and you don't want to miss it for anything. That No matter who you are, no matter where you are in life, no matter how old you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, God has a purpose and a plan for you in this next season of life, and you don't want to miss it for anything. God is calling you to be someone. God is calling you to do something. God is calling you to influence others to know Jesus. God is calling you to be a light in dark places. God is calling you to speak encouragement. God is calling you to speak for him. God is calling you to be a, a, a person who brings hope and who brings peace to hopeless and to peaceless situations. God is calling you. He has a purpose and a plan. And when you, st like when you step into it, you don't want to step back from it for anything or miss it for anything, or for anyone. And when I say you don't want to miss it for anything, here's some things that your anything could be. You don't want to miss God's plan and purpose because of your insecurity. You don't want to miss God's plan and purpose because of your fear. You don't want to miss God's plan and purpose because you think that your past disqualifies you. You don't want to miss out because you think that the family you came from disqualifies you. You don't want to miss out because you get caught up with the wrong people. You don't want to miss out because you're not willing to speak up when God asks you to speak up. You don't want to miss out because there's a relationship or a voice that keeps telling you to hold back when God has called you to jump in. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life, and you don't want to miss it for anything. You don't want to miss the plan that the God who hears your prayers and knows your needs, you don't want to miss the plan that God has for you. You don't want to miss the plan that the God who still speaks today, who still pays attention to your life and speaks direction and gives clarity, you don't want to miss the purpose and the plan that that God has for you. You don't want to miss it for anything. You don't want to miss it for anything. God has a plan 
And God has a purpose for your life. And you don't want to miss it for anything. God has a purpose and a plan for this next season of life. And you don't want to miss it for anything. As we, as we step back into the rhythm and the routine of, of, of the school year, God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life. And you don't want to miss it for anything. So let's lean in. Let's be hope bringers. Let's be encouragement speakers. Let's be people who bring the life that God has given to us, the new life that God has given to us, and bring it and carry it and influence others to accept it and to know it and to receive it and to live it themselves. Every single place that we go, every single relationship that we have, every, every time we take a step that we say, God, I'm taking this step because I, because I want to be in line with your purpose and your plan. Let's follow where God leads. Let's bring him our request because he hears in our prayers and knows our need. Let's stay in a position where we continually hear the voice of God that when he speaks, we would actually hear. Let's be people who, say, who understand that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives and we don't want to miss it for anything. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much today that you are a good, loving Heavenly Father. Thank you so much that we can know you. Thank you that you love us and that you do pay attention to our lives. Thank you that you know our need and you hear our prayer. God, thank you that, that we can respond, respond when, you, when you bring your blessing. God, thank you that we get to respond with gratitude because we have a relationship with you. We understand that what we have comes from you. God, thank you that we can keep ourselves in a position where we hear from you. We can, we can continuously carry your presence with us and, and listen and pause so that we hear what you would have to speak to us. And God, today, as, as we move into this school year, God, I pray more than anything, God, that we would be people who understand and pay attention to the purpose and the plan that you have for us in this season, in this stretch of life, in our lives for the rest of our lives. And God, today, I just simply pray that we would surrender to it. God, that we'd overcome our insecurity, we'd overcome our fear, we'd overcome our anxiety, we'd overcome the feelings that, we, that we, our past disqualifies us from what you might have for us in the future. We'd overcome the feeling that because of the family that we came up in and what they're known for, God, that we don't have the right to step into what you have for us. God, help us to step in to what you have for us. Help us to be the men and women and students that you want us to be. Help us to lead the way you want us to lead. Help us to bring hope the way you want us to bring hope. Help us to bring light where you want us to bring light. Help us to bring encouragement and peace where you want us to bring encouragement and peace. Help us to influence others for you so they can know you the way we know you. God, we love you. Help us to step into the plan and the purpose that you have for us and help us not to miss it for anything, but help us to surrender every bit of our lives to what you have for us and who you want us to be. We love you, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.